0: Hello and welcome to episode thirteen of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. When I was younger, I used to play quite a lot of live poker, spending lots of time in Vegas. I love Vegas. When there, I love the characters, especially the older crowd, who who they tell amazing stories for hours about games they've played in and people they've played with. The humour's never far away, and you can think of the classic lines from legends of the game like Amarillo Slim. I quit when I realised that, well, it was a pretty easy decision as I was pretty rubbish, but I have a real admiration for those who make their money from the game. As the saying goes, poker is a really hard way to make an easy living. In the UK, although less widespread, there are similar poker players who have made a living through their talent at this game. Today we look at a case involving the brutal murder of one such person, 56-year-old Mehmet Hassan. On Monday the 25th of March 2015, Mayra Musa was becoming increasingly concerned that she was unable to contact her brother Mehmet. Mehmet was a professional poker player who lived alone, but it was really unlike him not to be in contact with her or his daughters. One of his daughters even went to his house, but there was no reply when she knocked at the door. Eventually, Mayra called the police and at around 8.30 that night they arrived at his flat in Islington, North London. Police forced entry and they found Mehmet's body lying in his own blood on the floor of his bedroom. His legs were bound and there were significant visible injuries, including shoe marks on his head. In fact, he'd been brutally murdered, with 11 of his ribs broken on one side and there were 12 different injuries to his head. Officers initially suspected that the cause of death may well have been that he'd drowned in his own blood, Shockingly, he, he was kicked to death not by heavy boots, but by somebody wearing trainers. A subsequent post-mortem examination revealed that the cause of death was actually neck and chest injuries. Neighbours spoke of the horror experienced by his family upon this discovery. One said, There are police everywhere, and there were relatives up and down all over the place crying their eyes out, as well as women screaming and shouting just after they found him. They broke down. There was a loss of commotion. Another added, he was such a friendly guy. A woman used to come round who I think was his mother. She absolutely doted over him and would bring him round food and other things all the time. Police did not make any immediate arrests and Detective Chief Inspector Andy Partridge asked for assistance saying, in particular, I would like help from the public who can assist with the movements of the victim between 7.30pm on Sunday and shortly before police found the victim on Monday. The UK poker community is a tight one and it was stunned by his death. Friends paid tribute to a born gambler who grew up in Bethnal Green playing cards in the Cray Twins illicit gambling dens and rising to become one of the most respected players in the high rolling casinos of the West End. UK poker pro the actor Ross Boatman said he was a wonderful warm man the original lovable rogue and he would gamble on anything He loved to gamble, and win or lose, it never affected him. He was always smiling, always upbeat. He was always prepared to put everything on the line and shoot for the stars. He was an extraordinary man, and could turn a tenner into a £100,000, and then lose it just as quickly. It never seemed to bother him. He was always looking for the next chance. It wasn't about the money. It was the thrill of gambling. He was fearless. The global game of poker spiked in popularity early in this century, with the growth of online poker, and a victory in the World Series of Poker main event by the name you couldn't make up, Chris Moneymaker. Moneymaker was an amateur who qualified for the main event by entering an online tournament for just $86, and he went on to win the Blue Ribbon event in Vegas for $2.5 million. This led to many younger poker players becoming TV personalities and making a lot of money. The way they played the game was very different to Mehmet and others like him around the world who were very much old school in his approach. Whereas a new school player tends to focus on the maths and their decisions are backed up by thousands of hands of data they've studied and analysed, old school players like Mehmet, they relied much more on their reading of people and instinct. There's a saying in poker, especially among the old school players, that the aim is not to make a big song and dance about your play or brag about how good you are or how much money you've won, but it's just to get it quietly, i.e. the money. Rather than play one of tournaments, Mehmet was a cash game player, a form of the game which takes out much of the elements of luck and rewards consistency. He plied his trade mainly in two Mayfair casinos at the heart of the West End, The Playboy and Palm Beach. A worker at Palm Beach Casino, which describes itself as the most exclusive casino in Mayfair, and trust me there are a few, said that Mehmet played poker at the club three or four times a week, spending hundreds of pounds, though I imagine it's much more likely thousands of pounds. They said, he was a regular. I believe he was here on Sunday night. He played poker every week and he came in at least every other day, sometimes up to four times a week. A friend who was one of the last people to speak to Mehmet said, I phoned him up on Sunday night to see how the poker was going. He said he wasn't in the casino he was in Nobu in Mayfair, that's a restaurant well a restaurant probably most famous for Boris Becker fathering a child in the broom cupboard he said he was with a 24 year old girl he'd met in the street he always had money, he'd a lot of money in the flat, I would say he had about £20,000 whoever went there knew there was money in the flat, it was a set up Others said similar about Mehmet and his brother noted that on occasion there was around £15,000 in his microwave. But this is the reality and sometimes the danger for the professional cash game poker player who even today needs to have access to large amounts of cash just to stay in the game. They don't work regular hours as they play when there is value in the game. There have been, as you might expect, high profile robberies of poker players before, especially in the US. The most famous living player, Doyle Brunson, and his wife were held up and robbed at their home in Vegas. Greg Raymer, who won the World Series of Poker the year after Chris Moneymaker, was carrying $150,000 in chips to his hotel room at the Blager Hotel in Vegas when he was robbed. But it's not just in the US where criminals are attracted to the money of casinos and those who play in them. Nicholas Chandler, 29, and Kyron Jackson, 28, were friends who lived in London, and they were certainly interested in the money to be made around gambling. Both had a criminal record, with Jackson previously convicted of cultivating cannabis, and he was also jailed for eight months for his involvement in handling stolen goods in the London riots of August 2011. Chandler had previously been convicted of having counterfeit currency. Although Jackson and Chandler were very interested in the potential money to be made at casinos, they weren't interested in taking their chances at the tables. Instead, their interest was in armed robbery. In 2014, they had twice attempted to steal from the Grosvenor Casino in Harrington Gardens in southwest London. The first attempt took place on the 12th of January 2014 and the second offence a month later, on the ninth of February. In each case, guns were used to threaten casino employees with the victims tied up and subjected to violence. On both occasions, although they managed to escape, They didn't get away with the life-changing money they had in mind. Make no mistake, this was no Ocean's Eleven. For the two men, it was time for a rethink. How could they get their hands on the large amounts of money at London casinos? Did you see the film Honey Trap? Released in May 2015, it's loosely influenced by a case in the UK from 2008. 15 year old Samantha Joseph led 16 year old Shaquillis Townsend to a quiet street in Croydon, South London, where he was murdered by a gang led by Danny McLean, the boy she was in love with. Joseph insisted that she hadn't known when she agreed to the set up that Shaquillis would be killed. The jury decided otherwise and she was found guilty, along with the boys that carried out the attack of murder. 25 year old Louise Granger was a care worker working with the elderly and infirm in Dagenham, East London. The aspiring model was in a relationship with Jackson, and along with Chandler, the three came up with a plan where Granger would use her good looks to befriend a rich man in the casino. Speaking later, she said, They first said something about getting someone's number, get their number, and then would rob them. Asked what words they used, she replied, honey trap." Like getting their phone nicked or something, nothing serious. Just go to the casino, get someone's number, come back out, that was it. And that was exactly what they did. Granger went to the Palm Beach Casino in February to find their target. When she clocked Mehmet with a bundle of £50 notes, she met his eye. Mehmet enjoyed female company and he was naturally flattered by this attention. A friend saw him talking to Granger at the casino and noted that within 10 minutes they'd exchanged phone numbers. Granger told him to call her Rachel and she stored his number under the name Mehmet. Mehmet was soon back in contact with Rachel, referring to the high-end Zuma restaurant in Knightsbridge, adding, Let me know a day before as I will have to book it, he went on. Also Rachel, if you're about tonight, pop in for a large brandy, you're more than welcome. I live in Islington, and I'm a professional poker player. Don't laugh, Rachel, because believe me, I'm quite good. Maybe if your brains and my money, we could make you into a great player. In another message, he said, Funds is my department, Rachel. Plus, it'll be my pleasure to have the opportunity to wine and dine with you. A few days later, they arranged to meet on a Saturday, which was two weeks before Mehmet died. They had champagne at Zuma and then had dinner as well. After this meeting, the following week Mehmet and Granger went for dinner in another Knightsbridge restaurant before gambling at the Playboy Casino in Mayfair. They left after a little more than an hour after Mehmet had made £2,000 in profit. Afterwards, she went to Mehmet's flat before getting a taxi back to South London. The cab driver who picked her up could hear her on the mobile phone saying this guy is a professional gambler, he has never worked a day in his life. Mehmet was certainly taken with Granger, confiding in a friend that he'd met Granger and was intending to see her again. In Mehmet's view this appeared to be a genuine relationship and he even reassured one friend that he hadn't paid for his companion to be with him. Despite making his living by being an excellent reader of people and their intentions, Mehmet was completely unaware of Granger's true plans. On the night before he was murdered, Saturday the 23rd of March, Mehmet had taken Granger to the top Mayfair restaurant Nobu before going on to the Palm Beach Casino nearby where he gave her £1,000 in cash to gamble with. That evening, dressed in a strapless top, tight-fitting black trousers, high heels and a large gold necklace, Granger was spotted by a poker supervisor kissing Mehmet passionately, so much so that she even told the pair to go and get a room. Mehmet cashed out a significant quantity of chips, believed to be in the region of two to £3,000, and he left to return home with Granger, arriving at about quarter past midnight, the early hours of Sunday, the 24th of March. After a short period of time, Granger made her excuses and Mehmet called her a taxi, giving her £200 towards the fare. Again, his generosity, this fare would have been no more than £40. Unbeknown to Mehmet... Granger had been in contact with Chandler and Jackson who were awaiting her signal to attend the area in Islington, where he lived. After contact from Granger, they arrived close to Mehmet's flat at about 10 to 1 in the morning. Granger left the address in a taxi around 25 minutes later and throughout her journey back to Lewisham, the taxi driver noted she was on the phone all the time. At times Granger appeared to be quite animated in her conversation, saying things such as, Don't tell me the money's not there, I saw it. As she left, Granger let Chandler and Jackson into Mehmet's flat where he was savagely attacked and murdered. Shortly after 2am, an Audi TT car associated with Jackson was seen on CCTV leaving the area around Mehmet's home. The two men fled with £3,000, his TV and his mobile phone. The CCTV and phone records quickly led police to the suspects, and all three were arrested a few days later on the 28th of March. When officers searched Jackson's address, they discovered two thousand five hundred pounds in fifty-pound notes. Jackson claimed this was from a necklace he had pawned recently. When his story was checked, the pawnbroker's had no knowledge of such a transaction. Granger and Chandler refused to comment throughout police interviews. When Granger was arrested, police found she'd deleted incriminating evidence about her contact with Mehmet and the other two men from her mobile phone. Apart, that is, from the film of the three of them appearing to celebrate the success of the operation. Sickeningly, this celebration took place while Mehmet was still lying dead and undiscovered in his flat. At one point in the video, Chandler is spraying £50 notes all over the floor while Jackson is stuffing £50 notes into his underpants. The two men are filmed quite literally throwing his money around in bundles of £50 notes as Granger giggles while lying on a bed. Jackson is seen wearing a gas mask as he waves a wad of cash around in front of a camera before thrusting his hips at it and stuffing it into his trousers. Chandler is also seen counting out vast sums of money and tossing it onto a bedroom floor. The police had all the evidence they needed, and all three were charged with murder on the 30th of March. Their trial was held in London at the Old Bailey. Granger told the jury she believed the plan was to rob Mehmet, not to kill him. Her barrister asked her whether there was any discussion of the consequences to the victim or to her, which she denied. Tensions between the gang showed after Granger told the court that she saw Chandler waiting outside the house as she left. He later told the court, that's totally not true. That's a story that she's made up sitting over there as he gestured towards the dock. Granger explained, I didn't want to have sex with him. That's all it boiled down to. I walked out not expecting anyone to be there and I panicked. I didn't expect them to be there. Granger said she saw Chandler with another man but claimed she did not know that they would attack Mehmet. Prosecutor Aylott asked her, Did it not occur to you that Mehmet Hassan might have been rather frightened by the sight of two strange men arriving at his flat at 1.30am? She replied, I thought Mehmet would just give them the money and that's it. I didn't think anything else would happen. Jackson denied involvement in the murder, but Chandler told the court they'd both gone to an address in Islington but he'd waited in the car outside as Jackson had gone inside the flat. On Wednesday, the 15th of April 2015, the jury found Granger not guilty of murder but guilty of manslaughter and also convicted her of false imprisonment and robbery. She was sentenced to 16 years in prison. Jackson and Chandler were found guilty of murder and conspiracy to falsely imprison. They were also found guilty, along with three other gang members of the earlier two separate robbery offences at the casino in South West London in 2014. They were both given 37 years in prison. Judge William Kennedy told Granger that Mehmet's death would simply not have taken place without her involvement. Granger was central throughout to the events leading to the tragic consequences, said the judge. She identified Mr Hassan as somebody whose lifestyle made him vulnerable to robbery. It was, to use your words from the witness box, a honey trap. The judge told Granger that Mehmet's death would simply not have taken place without her involvement. You saw he was a man used to having and enjoying a significant amount of money. You accept it was clear that you reported what you discovered to Jackson and Chandler and planned how it might conclude with robbery at his own flat. He wined and dined you. Members of staff who served you said they noticed in particular how passionately you kissed him. You then both travelled to his flat. You acknowledged he was kind and polite to you. You told him you needed to go and he gave you a significant amount of money for a taxi. You went to the front door of his flat and opened it for Jackson and Chandler who were waiting outside. You didn't anticipate the acts that took his life but you take responsibility for what occurred for the rest of your days. Mehmet's sister Mayra Musa, speaking to the court, described her brother as a very special and unique man, a witty and professional poker player and a devoted and committed father whose violent death would haunt the family forever. As she was given her statement, Chandler continued to show his lack of class and he stood up and swore loudly. A fight broke out in the dock as Chandler leapt to his feet and was wrestled to the ground by prison officers. As the fight raged on, Granger cowered in the corner of the dock and the public gallery was cleared in the uproar. Detective Chief Inspector Partridge of the Met's Homicide and Major Crime Command said, Mehmet Hassan was lured into a honey trap by Granger, having been targeted for his affable nature and success at the casino tables. Granger realised very quickly that Hassan kept significant qualities of cash in his flat and cooked up a plan to rob him of her associates, Nicholas Chandler and Kyron Jackson. The violence inflicted on Mehmet Hassan was horrific, and it appears by the comments made by Granger, and overheard by the taxi driver on the night of the murder, that the gang were intent on finding that cash, whatever the cost. People who knew Mehmet Hassan, his friends, family and associates, described him as a likeable and generous man. His death was senseless motivated by the greed of three people who exploited his generosity in the most callous manner imaginable. Hassan Gune, the nephew of Mehmet, said, We've endured immense pain and despair from the moment that we discovered Mehmet had been brutally murdered. This will continue to haunt us for the rest of our lives. Mehmet was a kind, gentle man who was loved by all of his family and friends. His warmth and love for life blessed us all. Mehmet was very generous and he would help his family and friends without question. He would be dearly missed by us all, and he would never be forgotten. Although nothing will ever replace Mehmet, this just verdict provides an element of closure and relief that the callous perpetrators have been brought to justice and removed from our streets. As you have heard today, this was a particularly unpleasant case. We've seen abuse of kindness, horrendous levels of violence, and even a lack of respect for Mehmet's sister's words after the conviction. When I ponder this case, I can't help wondering why Granger allowed it to continue. After spending time with Mehmet and experiencing his charm and his generosity, she must have been tempted to stop the plan, right? She would argue that she was under the spell of the other two men and so unable to stop events, but I, I don't know, I'm just not so sure. I guess in the end it comes down to pure greed. People without the ability or the work ethic to make the sort of money made by Mehmet, they were just after the easy way to do so and didn't care who got in their way. At least the long prison sentences means that these these people are off the streets and so not able to hurt any other innocent people. As they say at the Sword and Scale podcast, once again, this case proves that the worst monsters are very real. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, version of the UK True Crime podcast. As you can tell, I've got a bit of a cold. I hope that didn't spoil it too much for you. Please head to our website at UKTrueCrime.com, sign up for our newsletter, or why not leave us a fantastic review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to this podcast. That's it for now, so I will speak to you again next week. Cheerio.